Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. Throughout the year 2020, there were a lot of opportunities to spend time and slow down our pace as followers of Jesus to actually be with Jesus. It was a time that I've heard many people say, boy, wouldn't it be great if life would slow down enough that I could spend time with family or friends or uh, I could slow down and just live at a pace that seemed more manageable. Well, we had that experience with sports and activities around school shut down or not taking place as often, uh, theaters closed, uh, different activities coming to a halt. It offered a lot more opportunity to spend time in a less hurried pace in life. And during this time, many people thrived. I mean, I've spoken with many people who are this this was just some of the best experiences and time with the Lord that they've ever experienced in their life. Uh, it gave them time to really be in the Word. It gave them time to spend time in prayer. It let, again, a, just a less hurried pace of life. And then others, it caused them to bristle at the idea of having this slow down pace. Uh, one of the things that happens in these moments of change is that people experience pressure and it reveals areas of our lives that are underdeveloped or even have cracks in them or are broken, broken down. And so I've talked before about this idea and, and I'm hesitant to move away from it. In fact, uh, I'm actually going to build off of that idea because it's such an important aspect of understanding what's happening beneath the surface of our lives. If you've ever lived in an area where there's heavy thunderstorms, heavy downpours. I'm not just talking about a rainfall, you know, that just kind of it hits the roof, trickles into the gutters, and then out the downspout. No, this is, this is one of those uh, where the rain comes down in such a pounding that all rules are off. Uh, the water shoots over the gutter. It fills up. It, it just, it's coming. It's hitting the side of the house. It's beating against the windows. Um, water's pooling around the base of the house as well. Basically, water going everywhere and anywhere that it wants to. Now, I love a good thunderstorm. And one of my favorite things to do is when there's a thunderstorm and there's heavy rains, I love just sitting out and listening to it. Uh, but what I don't love is after a thunderstorm, looking on my ceiling and seeing a spot where it's telling me there's a leak in the roof or going down to the basement or looking around the foundation and seeing this pooling water that isn't running off, it's actually seeing a leak that has seeped into the basement of the home. And so this is something I experienced while living in Kansas City, some tremendous thunderstorms. And every time there was a thunderstorm, I would love that it was coming, but at the same time, I would dread to see what was going to be revealed. Now, in response to the storm, here's some things that I could do and different responses I've had at times, is in that response to the storm, I can be upset that it's raining so much 
and I can say, you know, man, I wish it'd stop raining. I know it's going to seep into the house or it's going to get into the basement or my roof is going to show damage. I can get upset about that or I can use it as an opportunity that it's providing to re reveal weak points in my home, to reveal a point in my roof that actually is, needs addressing or in the basement that I need to go back and either address the foundation and the water runoff or seal it better so that the water doesn't get into the home. As a result of the storm, I can identify these weak points and I can go to work on them or, or I can ignore them and hope it never rains again like that, which is pretty unlikely. If I'm willing to go to work on it, it may require that I peel back layers of the home or even take down a portion of the ceiling so I can get to that spot where the leak is taking place. It may require that I dig around the foundation and work on the drainage better or get on the inside and find a better way to patch it and make sure that the water doesn't get in again. It could really uh, take take some work to get into it. Or again, as I said, I can say, you know, it's just a little water. It'll dry out. No big, no big deal. Well, undoubtedly over this past year, you've seen some strong places in your life where when the storms have come, uh, you've been encouraged. You've been developing spiritual maturity in your life. And you've seen where you've held up well and and I've seen in my life areas where I've held up well against these pressures and against these different hardships and experiences that I've had. But inevitably, you've also seen some cracks in the foundation. You've seen some spots in the roof of your life that show where there's some thing that might need to be addressed. Uh, it's an inability to handle a stressor in my life. And each of us has the opportunity to respond with a shrug of the shoulders and just say, eh, what's a little water? Sure, I lost my temper and flew off the handle, but uh, it's no big deal. It was kind of extenuating circumstances. Or we actually have the opportunity to look at it and say, you know, there's a pathway forward that revealed something in my life of immaturity. It revealed something of my life where I need to grow. And as followers of Christ, that should be our desire to say, I want to pursue Jesus with more passion and be a, an image, a reflection of his image in my life more than ever before. That's the desire that we should choose. That's the direction we should choose, not the shrugging of shoulders, not the just thinking, well, what's a little water? What's a little temper? What's, what's a little uh, binge of this area of my life? Instead, we should really say, I want this, whatever's been uncovered, for me to be able to bring it before Jesus and go deeper with him. So this is a great opportunity for personal diagnosis, a great opportunity for myself and for you to look at areas of our life every time we're under pressure and say, what's revealed and where can I step forward? But you know, it's, it's also true for leaders of churches, pastors and leaders like myself to be able to look not just at our own lives, but to look at the body of Christ and assess how the church is doing. And when I say church, uh, there's two areas. There's capital C church, the entire church, 
uh, and, and not just a, the local church, or the local church as well, New Horizons. How did we do? How are we doing through this? Have we been ready? Are we, were we prepared to face the stressors that we faced? I would suggest that similar to every individual, there were points of encouragement. There were points where we would say, you know, uh, we really came through well through this, both Capital C Church and New Horizons specifically. Um, they were encouraging. Uh, places where the deluge of difficulties revealed that we have some things in place that are positive and encouraging. Uh, one would just be um, that we saw how generous the church is. You know, uh, looking out in our community, it was one after another. Churches were engaging with the community, providing food, coming alongside of people and helping where they could and continue to do so. And so that was encouraging, just seeing the generosity within the body of Christ uh, and continuing to help in various ways. In fact, just this past week, uh, we as a church, New Horizons, contributed to a couple of local food banks. We gave some money uh, out of our general budget, just recognizing that, you know, we, we've been blessed. God's helped us and we don't have our own food bank. And so let's partner with others in the community. And so we made a donation to uh, three different food banks in our in our community, and so this is just one of those ways that you just say, "I'm just encouraging." I'm encouraged by when the stressors are on that we're finding ways to participate. But in the same way, on the other side, there are places of weakness that were revealed as well, and this is throughout the church. When I speak about the church in this instance, it's the United States. I'm not as in tune with what's happening around the world. But I'm very much in tune listening to different leaders and I uh, follow podcasts and books and different ways that I'm in tune with what's happening in the church in the United States. And, and so one of the things that was revealed in the church in the U.S. was that we've become too dependent on weekend services as a catch-all for spiritual development. There's been too much of a, a push and a stress on weekend services, Sunday services, as being this spiritual development. We think everything's going to happen uh, within this hour, hour and a half on a Sunday, Sunday morning. And, you know, this, this is kind of a, a misnomer. We, we say that this isn't something we believe, but then the church in America has spent so much time feeding into that that it's really hard to break away for, from it. And the deep change that really needs to happen absolutely cannot happen in an hour and a half, one day a week. It's got to go deeper, and there's got to be more ways for that to happen in, in the church. And now, I know, I know New Horizons is part of this as well, is that we've been relying too heavily on Sunday activity and, and large group gatherings to accomplish much of our discipleship work. There there's a, a fundamental issue with this dependency on weekend services that caught up many churches, surprised them when things happened in 2020. And there were some things that happened for our church, New Horizons, that uh, caught us in a place where we were really unprepared to continue to disciple in other ways outside of our Sunday services. Absolutely, we have some small groups and we have ways of connecting with people. But again, like many others, we found it to be inadequate 
And this stress point of 2020 revealed that, that we need to see some things change in how we experience community and how we experience discipleship and how we do outreach. Each of these puts stress on those areas and it's revealed to us we have some work to do. Now, in response uh, to these revelations, these things showing up, uh, some churches have taken the approach of shrugging their shoulders and saying, you know what, all we really want is for stuff to go away so we can get back to pouring into weekend services. We can get back to making our weekend services bigger and better and more dynamic and more can happen on that Sunday morning service. And we could take that approach. Wow, glad that's over. Let's get back to just our Sunday morning gatherings. It's kind of like looking at the water stain on the ceiling or the mopping up the, the uh, uh, water that's in the basement and just saying, you know, let's, uh, let's just kind of get past it and get back to what we were doing. Or, or we can do the hard work and we can see those markers, those stress points, those places where the storm was more than we were ready for. And I'm suggesting and I'm leading from this place that we have some work to do. As New Horizons, we have some work to do that will direct us into spiritual discipleship that is of a deeper nature than what we've had in the past and where we've gone. A, a discipleship that's going to, yes, allow us to engage in community on weekend services, but it put a greater emphasis on our small group times, put a greater emphasis on our outreach that will allow us to walk and move towards a deeper level of spiritual maturity than we've been able to or we have up to this point. The question is not if, but when another storm comes. And when the next storm comes, my hope and my desire is that as the pastor at New Horizons and that as the people, the church of New Horizons, that will do the hard work to peel back the ceiling, to get to work on those spots that need addressing, in discipleship and in walking with Jesus, in fellowship that we are closer to him, and then in our outreach that we're extending into the community to greater, to greater levels. So in this message, uh, I'm going to direct us to the importance of addressing those things that have been revealed. I'm not going to go down each list, but I'm, I'm going to point to what Jesus taught about this idea of spiritual maturity and what it means to bear fruit in our lives, both as individuals and then also together as a church. So let us pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal in us uh, what needs to happen and where we're at, and uh, we'll take this step together. So Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word that it is revolutionary to our thinking and to our lives. Uh, we don't want a better me, we want a new me. We want a, a new life in Jesus. And that just doesn't come out of our natural inclination, but it comes out of a deep discipling relationship with you that's willing to do the hard work of looking at the things that have been revealed in our life and going to work to walk deeper with you and abiding in you. So we thank you for your word. May it change us deeply. May we know you and walk with you more closely than we ever have. And we thank you for it. Amen. Well, from... A physical perspective, when we talk about maturity and growth, what we tend to think of is 
an extension of years. In other words, the older I get, the more I grow, the more I mature. Our, our physiology says that's what happens. And so we, we know it's a natural process. The more years we gain, the taller we get, or the, the uh, more complete in our physiology we become. And, and then uh, in, in the progression of age, uh, we become more mature in that aspect. And, and so it's, it's just a natural thing that happens physically is it comes with years. However, what's true of our physiology is not true of our spirituality. That these are different ways in which we grow. And this is what's oftentimes difficult for us is because the passing of time is not the determination of our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity. But we sometimes, in the church, we sometimes think it is and that is how we grow is just over time we're going to become more mature in christ or grow up in jesus for instance we say things like you know she's old enough to know better than to make that mistake or he's 34 but he acts like a three-year-old throwing a tantrum when he doesn't get his way or maybe you've heard this or expressed this feeling you know you've been a christian for years how come it's so difficult for you to forgive all of these ideas tie together the thought that time should somehow have brought maturity, either emotional or spiritual maturity, to an individual. But the reality and what we know to be true is that that's not the case. Uh, the, the list could go on and on about this idea of marrying maturity and growth with the passing of time or age, but spiritual growth and spiritual maturity are more like muscle development more than they are the passing of months or years. It's more like how muscle develops in that it only happens when it's used or exercised. And so if I've got a, a muscle and, and maybe you've had an experience where you've done an activity that caused you to use a muscle that you had not used in a long time, and the typical thing that happens is the next day or maybe even later that day, you just think, oh, oh my goodness, I didn't even know I had that muscle there. That's so, so painful, it's so sore. And, and because we haven't used it, it just ex exacerbates or accentuates that pain that we might feel or that soreness. And, and so it's the using of the muscle that develops it. And, and this is what spiritual growth is like. The less it's used, the less it's developed, and it becomes only a strong muscle when it's used more frequently. And in fact, muscles that aren't used, even if they've been developed, over time, if they don't continue to be used, they diminish and they weaken and they lessen. And that's exactly what it's like for spiritual maturity in your walk with Jesus Christ. The more it's used, the more it develops, and you have to continue to be deliberate, and I have to continue to be deliberate about giving it more and more attention. Now, when oftentimes Jesus spoke about spiritual maturity, he didn't talk about our physiology and growth. He talked about fruit. He talked about the fruit of our lives. He talked about, uh, he used the analogy of trees and fruit and how they show on display. And so I want to read from Matthew 7, verses 15 to 27. And it's one of those instances, it's a passage of scripture that really sets the direction for new horizons going forward. So this is part of a much larger vision of the direction we're taking as a church. 
And we're going to take hold of this idea of what Jesus teaches about trees and fruit and spiritual growth as an expression of trees and fruit. And so let me read from Matthew 7, 15 to 27, and I think it will help us to understand the direction we're going. We have so much more to build on, and we're going to be looking in the future out of John 13 through 17, a much more uh, direct passage or portions of Scripture where Jesus is teaching about this idea of how we understand it, uh, that we grow in spiritual maturity. But for this message, I want to focus us in on Matthew 7, 15 to 27, because I think it really has an important message for us that is different than we hear in the culture, not just the world culture, but even in the culture in the church within the United States. So it'll be on the screen or you can read it in your own, uh, in your own Bible. Jesus speaking, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree, every healthy tree, bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will come to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. This portion of scripture begins with Jesus talking about false teachers false teaching. And this concern about false teaching is one that has always existed and will continue to exist. It'll be at the forefront of people's minds. It was at Jesus's time and it is now. Nobody wants to be duped. <laughs> Nobody wants to be deceived. And the, the regret, the deep sense of, oh, I should have known better when we realize we've been deceived. And those who are discipling and following God and want to know him greater, certainly don't want to be deceived. They don't want to go down a path that leads them away, farther away from God. They want to draw close to him. And so this idea is always at the forefront of people's minds. How do we know teaching that is false? How do I know if this teaching is a good teaching, if this is a, a, a false teaching or an accurate teaching? We don't want to get duped. We don't want to get led astray. And so 
help us discern, in other words, and, and putting this before Jesus, help us discern, how do we discern between good teaching and bad teaching? Now, Jesus's solution to this is really more simple. We tend to say, uh, we're going to dissect each teaching. We're going to go through it point by point. We're going to match it up to scripture and, and we're going to put, put it against scripture. And, and that can certainly be helpful. But Jesus's solution and his way to address this is much more simple. He's saying, listen, don't, you don't even have to go back through every teaching to determine if it's good or not. Jesus says, go back to the teacher. Don't, don't just look at the, the individual teachings and determine if they're false. Go back to the teacher. Go back to the tree itself. Go back to the one who's telling you this stuff and don't ask them to explain all of their teachings because they will convince you that they're good and that they're true teachings and that they're leading you the way. Don't, don't give them uh, the power to be able to tell you whether they're good teachings or not. Jesus says instead, look at their life. Look at the tree that is providing this fruit. Look at their life and look at who that person is. Look at their, their character, the fruit of their life. Look at that person and that is going to tell you if what is being taught is good or if it's deceitful or if it's bad fruit. It's such a more simplistic way of addressing this issue that instead of going down line by line, which you can do that, and we should line up our teaching to Scripture, but Jesus says a much more simple way, look at the person. Look at that person and say, is their life producing the fruit of God and the Spirit of God coming out of their life? Verses 16 through 20, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, here's how this often shows up in Christian circles and we rationalize and we give credence to bad trees and we prop them up and listen to them and give them platforms when their fruit of their life is actually rotten. It happens all the time, especially in the modern church. Here's what it often sounds like. Oh, I hear he's difficult to work with and unpleasant, but boy, he sure can teach the word. How about, she's careless and hurtful to others with her words, but her books are so good. <laughs> that guy is anointed and dynamic. Yeah, he's got a lot of issues to work through, but he sure can preach or sing or write or gather a crowd, etc., etc. It's like a cancer. <laughs> I want to tell you as a pastor, this drives me crazy. People who dismiss the fruit of people's lives and say their gifting is fantastic and so we're going to prop them up and listen to them and yet they're disillusioned and disappointed when sometime down the road the fruit of their life proves out to be what they are as a person have demonstrated. A bad tree producing bad fruit, but it's dynamic. It catches an eye, it draws a crowd 
And this is at the heart of what's uh, an issue within the American church. And that Jesus would say, watch out. How do you know? How do you know what kind of tree they are? How do you know if it's a good teaching or a bad teaching? Look at their life. They're going to show you what type of tree they are by the fruit they produce. This is what Jesus would say about it. Hey, church, you're listening and looking for the wrong things. You're looking for the hottest, newest book, the hottest, newest podcast, teaching, recording, preacher. You're looking for what's hip and cool, and that's what the culture does. And you're following right in it, just in the Christian circle. What Jesus says is look at their life and don't decide if they're sheep or wolves by all this fanfare and stuff going around. Look at their life. If they're a good tree and they're rooted and, and discipling in me, they're going to produce good fruit. And that's the type of person that you need to listen to their teaching and you need to follow after them. Jesus says, listen, eventually a bad tree is going to produce bad fruit. It doesn't matter what wrapper you put around it. It doesn't matter if it's spray painted really nice. A bad tree is going to produce bad fruit. But the good and healthy tree is going to keep giving you good fruit year after year, season after season. And if you look at their life, you know what kind of fruit they're producing and whether you should be discipling with them and along with them in, in their life with Jesus. So Jesus follows this up because he knows that people are going to qualify it. They're going to say, but, 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 but. <laughs> Jesus already knows this. He knows our tendencies. And so he follows this up and he knows people are going to say, but they're so anointed. Oh my goodness. Have you seen the signs and wonders that are happening around them? Have you seen how amazing the crowds are that are coming around to, to listen to them? And, and have you seen the power in which they're working in? And Jesus knows all of these things. This is, it's just crazy to read this and just see how human tendencies have not changed in, in throughout mankind's history. It's the same. And so Jesus knows this and he says, yep, and not everyone who knows my name will enter the kingdom. Even those who are impressive in the eyes of others, they're going to be left out. <laughs> Here's the qualifier, he says. It's, it, it, it's not how great the show is, how much goes on display. He says it's the fruit of their life. It's who they are and who, what they're putting on display year after year. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but... The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's it. That's it. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That does a, a tremendous help for us to sort out all of the show, all of the fanfare, all of the guessing of whether this teaching is the right teaching or not. He says, look at their life and the fruit that's being produced out of it and get away from whether or not the, the signs and the displays are fantastic. Are they doing the will of the Father? Are they, are they walking in the kingdom and are they walking into that? Maybe the better question for myself and for you is, are you doing the will of the Father? Because 
It's not so much whether I'm judging the person and their fruit, I do need to do some of that, but what's more important is what's coming out of my life? What's coming out of your life? Are we producing this kind of fruit? And so this idea that Jesus presents significantly simplifies what it is we need to be focused on. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's it. That's what you and I, if we're going to follow Jesus, that's what we need to know. What is the will of the Father? And then what do I need to do to follow it, to obey it, to walk in that? It makes it incredibly simple, but incredibly weighty. It simplifies it, but it magnifies it, I guess is the best way that I can say it. It it sorts out a bunch of that side stuff about what is most important is doing the will of the Father. Jesus said it over and over in his own life. I'm not doing my thing. I'm doing the Father's thing. I'm, I'm not just going around and doing ministry at my whim. I'm doing everything the Father tells me to do. And so it points back to us. And Jesus says, and listen, that's true of you. If you're going to follow me, I don't care that it's a great show. I don't care that there's signs and wonders. I don't care that the crowds are gathering. Those people will not make it in unless they're doing the will of the Father. That simple. That's all that it boils down to. So it simplifies it. Oh, oh, but it puts weight on it. It puts such weight of what we need to be focused on and saying, Lord, can I hear you? And then once I hear you, can I do what you ask me to do? And so here's the question that every one of us should ask and want to know. How do I know the will of the Father? And how do I do what it is that his will is for my life? And really, as I wrap up this message, that's at the heart. That's at the very heart, the very focus of what we're going to be doing as a church in the coming weeks, the coming months, and who we're actually becoming as a church is we are going to be intently focused. Just every bit of us is going to be focused on this idea that we're going to learn to abide in Christ, listening to the Holy Spirit to discern the will of the Father so that we can obey what he asks us to do. That's, that's the focal point, and, and we may use different verbiage to say it, but this is just at the heart of what it is that we're going to be so intent on and just focused with with laser clarity on is that we want to learn to abide in Christ and listen to the Holy Spirit to discern what the will of the Father is so that we can obey what he asks us to do because nothing else matters that's the thing that we need to do I, I don't want to stand before the Lord and list off all these great accomplishments and him to say Yeah, but none of that means anything because I didn't ask you to do it. Here's what I asked you to do and how did you do with that? That's what's going to matter. I I don't want to list off great accomplishments or what New Horizons became and have him say, but you know what? That's not who I called that church to be. 
that was somebody else in the valley. I called them to be this. And so how did you do at becoming that type of people? And so as your pastor, I want you to know I am committed to this with all of my heart that we are going to dive deeper into growing deep in Jesus and learning to discern God's voice. Some of you may say, but I, I just struggle with that. I, I have, I just struggle with, is that God? Is that me? Is that just somebody else's opinion? How do I discern God's voice? That's where I want to shepherd. That's where I want to spend time and us to work together as a church so that people, we as followers of Jesus, we become incredibly effective at discerning God's voice. And then we become incredibly empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish what it is that he asks us to do. And because out of that grows the fruit of our lives. Out of that, we become an orchard. <laughs> we become tree after tree of fruit bearing in the kingdom of God that gives life in this valley, that we find life in it ourselves. And we're reproducing life in new believers who are stepping in, small sprigs in the orchard who are growing up and they see modeled before them how to bear fruit in Christ. We see existing uh, trees in the orchard who need pruning back in areas because they become too much. There's, there's too much, too many branches, then that's not what the father asked for and they're gonna experience pruning. And so we're gonna see a whole orchard of followers of Jesus who are bearing fruit that lasts. And we're gonna become a community in which those around us can say, do you wanna know what the kingdom looks like? Do you know what it looks like to hear God and bear fruit? Look at New Horizons. That's what they're focused on and that's what they do. And so out of that, we're going to find ourselves more intently abiding in Christ, listening to the Holy Spirit, and then empowered by him doing what the Father asks us to do. It's a big calling. It's a very clear, concise calling, but there's a lot of weight to it. And so we need God to lead us into it. Let me pray as we finish up. Lord, we, we want to see with real clarity what it is that you want from us and where we're going to. And Lord, one thing that's been revealed to me as a pastor, that there are a scattering of sheep in the American church today chasing after that vision, chasing after that sign, chasing after that teacher and that book. And Lord, what's desperately needed is a body of Christ that is rooted in you, who is abiding in you, and that is capable of bearing fruit even in difficult times, who can withstand storms and hardships and still bear out the fruit of the Spirit. And so Lord, we can't do this on our own. I can't do this as a pastor. I can't lead us into this, except that this is what you call us to. Jesus, you said this is what matters, is, is that we be the, the type of trees that are good trees, and we're, we're showing out the fruit that puts on display your work in our lives. And so as we hear this word, Lord, we just say, God, help us. Help us to be willing to recognize areas in our life where we've seen weak points. We've seen the spots on the ceiling or the leak in the basement, the water in the basement. We know that we need to grow up. We know that we need to get stronger in areas. And the best way to do that, the most important thing for us to do 
is to become very, very good at discerning your voice, being empowered by your spirit, and then obeying what it is you ask us to do. So lead us in this, we ask God. Disciple us, not just this next week, not through this message series, but we're in it for the long haul. Lord, we're in it for the months and years to come that we are going to grow in you only as we become more proficient, (laughs) we become stronger in hearing your voice and doing your will. We thank you for this time. Bless each one who hears this today. May they begin to experience even more fruit in their lives as they abide in you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.